Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. So today's topic is Amazon versus Target versus Walmart with my friend Rick Watson. Hey, Rick, how's it going? I'm doing great. Great to be on the show, Joe. Thank you so much. This is this is a <laughs> humongous topic, and I know we probably will just skim the surface, but I think it's an interesting one because we're all kind of living this both as logistics and supply chain people, but also as consumers. I mean, I've been staying at my mom's house for a bit, and I've been going to Target a lot, and I'm so impressed with what they're doing, but I still buy on Amazon, and I'm in Michigan, so I'm not a huge Walmart guy because we got Meyer over here, which is better, but that's another topic too. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Before we go any further, Rick, please introduce yourself and your company, where you're at. Yeah, my name is Rick Watson, and I am CEO and founder of a consulting firm called RMW Commerce. I live in New York City. Nice. So you're part of that whole lockdown. Yeah, exactly. We can't seem to get out of the lockdown, but I'm not sure that's so unique to New York anymore. No, I mean, we're in Mich- I'm in Michigan, and it's like freezing cold, so it feels like it's a lock. It's like when it was one below zero that feels like a lockdown anyway, but they open our restaurants 25%. But I keep thinking a lot of restaurants go, we can't open at 25%. That doesn't make sense. And then other people I hear say a lot of restaurants, it seem are maybe violating that, believe it or not. It's hard to believe. <laughs> but anyway, hopefully we'll be yeah, it's, it's tough for everybody. Yeah. Anyway, Rick, what does your company do? So my company is designed to help investors and management teams really plan out and take their first steps into direct-to-consumer e-commerce. And so the most common types of companies are a company has been doing business in retail and usually a wholesale or B2B manner for sometimes many years, sometimes 10 years, sometimes 20 years, sometimes longer. And the direct-to-consumer revolution, I would say, in the last 20 years, has kind of started to pass them by. And there are a number of reasons for that, that they're just starting to figure out and they need someone or some organization, someone from the outside to come in and give them sort of a helping hand to figure out like, what should we be doing next? How do we take our first steps and how can we get our first couple of projects off the ground? Those are generally how people start to look at these things. So you're working with a lot of the old school retailers, wholesalers, distributors, helping them get online. What about smaller companies that are saying, hey, look, we want to get in on this DTC, their direct-to-consumer thing. Do you help them too? Yeah, definitely. There are a number of different scenarios where I help people, particularly once you, a lot of times companies that get investment and they have a big new initiative. So because I have a pretty big background in online marketplaces, there are a number of retailers and e-commerce companies that want to start their own marketplace. They see what Amazon has done and they're like, how can I do this for myself? Could I leverage some of those principles? And sometimes they build technology and try to do it on their own. And sometimes they generally where it starts from is like they need a plan for how to build a marketplace because they've never done anything like this before. It's just so different than buying and holding items in your warehouse. Yeah. I've also seen 
I should say I've heard more about it. I work with fulfillment centers and they'll say, yeah, you find these other people who are really good at maybe the web, right? So they say, we can build wonderful websites, wonderful online stores, and it's beautiful. I can drive hundreds of thousands of people per year to my website. And I know everything about e-commerce except how to move stuff from <laughs> from China to somebody's home. And so it's funny because, you know, we you have that traditional companies like Walmart, they're known, for, and we'll target and others, are they're known for how good they are at logistics. They aren't good at being online necessarily. They're getting there. But we'll talk about all that. Before we get to all of that, though, you've got a very impressive background. Please tell us where you grew up and where you went to school and all that stuff. Yeah. So my background has always been kind of a Techie. I, so I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. So I'm from the South. I keep somehow over my life, I keep moving north. So I went to college <laughs> in Nashville where I got my undergrad and master's in electrical engineering. And what then school was that? At Vanderbilt University. Oh, man, that's a good school. I think worth mentioning. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So that was a really great time there. I think some one and of you the. You call that up north. <laughs> my parents thought I was a Yankee when I moved to Tennessee, put it that way. <laughs> so that's, that's definitely something in, when you, well, when you move from like one of the most Southern places outside of like Miami in New Orleans, it's kind of a different country than the rest of the country in some ways. Right. So keep moving North. And, and now I find myself in New York city, but I was fortunate enough that some of my first jobs out of school happened to be in e-commerce at a time when e-commerce was starting. Right. So I didn't decide coming out of school that I wanted to be in commerce like someone might today. She didn't know there you was know. no e-commerce probably when you got out of school. I wanted to be in software. Like I wanted to be in software and technology and the internet had been a thing for about maybe four or five years. 92 is when I started my undergrad. And that was the first year that the laws started to open up the commercial internet. So like NASA started to post things on their web, right. you know, online. And so you started to check out these things. But anyway, the first job out of school is I started working with a company called Channel Advisor, which would help eBay oh, wow. and Amazon sellers basically be more successful and scare the businesses online through the use of software and services to help them sell more on these sites. So I started developing some of the first versions of that software and then started moving into management there. And then since then, I've been at a number of companies in e-commerce on kind of different sides of the equation. So I was at barnesandnoble.com as a retailer, helping them build their third-party marketplace here in New York City. We were actually in the Google building in New York City, which is a building that's a whole city block, which is interesting oh, wow. uh, at the time until Google kicked everyone out because they needed more space. <laughs> and then I was at a number of other e-commerce software and technology companies, one called Merchantry, which allowed retailers to build their own online marketplaces and manage their product data more efficiently. And then finally, before I started my own company, I was at Pitney Bowes Global E-Commerce, which powers eBay's global shipping program and the border-free cross-border shipping solution, which is helps retailers ship products anywhere in the world to 220 markets. And so wow. that's kind of been my background and getting into the space. Right. It's interesting. Pitney Bowes, people don't think of them as a logistics company or even like a new a company that can help you with your fulfillment. I've always thought, geez, they need to change their name. You think of Pitney Bowes, I think of old stamp machines and, you know, that the facts. <laughs> I think yeah. of anything but high tech. And I've had Pitney Bowes 
people on here twice. My friend uh, Jonathan's over there, was over there. And yeah, they do. They they have a great service offering. So it's it's strange that they haven't done something to make sure everyone knows Pitney Bowes is in the 21st century. That's right. Rick, and you're also very modest because if I was at the top of the food chain and all those companies like you were, I would be like, yeah, I was like, Vice president of this. <laughs> so you had top jobs in these. You just weren't at the bottom. Well, maybe you start at the bottom, but you did a nice job rolling up to the top. Yeah. No, it's it's been fun seeing the evolution of, of this whole space over time. Yeah. So you grew up down south and you ended up taking jobs that kept moving you further and further north. So when did you start your company, RMW Commerce? I started about two years ago, like almost to the day, actually. And it started because you know, I was looking around for a new opportunity and I was, you know, I was applying for jobs and I was talking with friends and networking with people I know that had started sort of consulting on the side. And I'm like, well, while I'm looking for a job, maybe I should just start consulting at the same time. At least if someone doesn't have a job to offer (laughs) and I will, it gives me something else to ask them about and continue the conversation. It gives me another way to work for them if they don't have an opening. And so, right. The more and more I started having conversations, the more I started getting my head around the idea and asking people for their opinions. Like, how do you start a consulting business? I just started asking that question over and over and over to anyone I met that was in the business. And so the more I learned, the more I was like, all right, I stopped looking for a job. I'm like, I'm going to do this full time. And so that's how it all started. Right. I started the logistics of logistics as a blog. And I remember writing blog posts. I was uh, the general manager, COO of a company and logistics company. And then I was just kind of one day somebody said, oh, I love the logistics of logistics. Will you help me do that? I go, do what? Like, you have a big following, have a lot of people read your stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I realized no one wants to pay me to write 500 articles for themselves like it did for me. <laughs> but, and I realized also I can't make a business out of writing a whole bunch of articles. But anyway, so today's topic is Amazon versus Target versus Walmart. And when we were talking about doing something together, we originally said, let's talk about Amazon versus Target. And then I brought up Walmart and we said, no, we'll also talk about Walmart. So finally, we added Walmart to the mix. So let's go over, give us, kind of ground us, give us a little history, how we got to where we're at with these three companies. And I want and I want you to cut corners. I want you to talk about everything. <laughs> you know, just uh, the stuff that interests us the most, which is, you know, how we deliver. Yeah. So I think from a, a fulfillment point of view, Amazon got on the logistics business because they realized that they need to improve their customer service and that having all these third parties, we need to take control over the carriers. And so being an e-commerce company, they didn't have a place that someone could walk into a store and pick up their items. And so they so need they to be, to get good at it. <laughs> they had to get really good at it. And so the model that Amazon took was kind of what you have to do when you start with these massive fulfillment centers. And they started with a couple and now they have hundreds and thousands across the world in various forms. And then they have intermediate nodes throughout the country that it makes sort of first mile, middle mile, last mile. You know, they built right. a whole network at scale with billions of dollars in capital. Right. Now, while at the same time, selling yeah, the items. buying planes. <laughs> exactly. And so they've started a whole airport and CBG. And so it's super interesting what they're doing. So that's how they got their start. Target kind of started from the other way, where traditional retailer made a couple of missteps in e-commerce throughout their career, licensed their website to Amazon, took it back over, you know, had it crash. 
I didn't know they did that. So they were basically Amazon ran their website. For yeah, a while? for in the two thousands, I would say in the mid two thousands, and then they took it back over and they realized what a huge mistake it was. Similar to the way that Toys R Us did it, like famously, right. And then Amazon kind of took it over. Target got a little bit late start in e-commerce, but has steadily grown. And I think the key insight that Target had is if the stores aren't the center of our business, then we might as well not even be around. So we have to invest in our stores and we have to invest in the people in those stores. And so that's kind of the mindset that they started from. And it's no more did I talk about any of that when, when you're mentioning Amazon because they just have different assets to start from. Right. God, I was just, you mentioned investing in stores. I've been going to a Target lately by my house. And I'm used to going to Meyer. For those outside the Midwest, Meyer is like Walmart, but we like it better because it's just, an, seems like a notch above. But anyway, I've been going to this Target and it's interesting. They've got these brand new carts. And when you're pushing their carts around, you're like, this is so cool. It's so smooth. And you're like, just a shopping cart. I mean, it's a little thing. But I did grocery shopping there lately, and they've done a nice job. I mean, it's smaller, but it is, it almost feels like what is the term everyone uses now that where it's, we selected it, pre selected it for you, curated. Almost feels curated. Like when I walk through their grocery store, like, yeah, they got everything I want. And I'm impressed. I'm impressed with Target. And anyway, continue on. Talk a little bit more about Target Walmart. Yeah, they've been. I mean, continuously upgraded their experience. And so they have the ability to deliver from stores. Most of their, so very unique thing about Target is that over 90% of their e-commerce online, so if you go and online and order from Target.com, over 90% of those orders are delivered from a store near you. Oh, really? Nice. Which is, it's super interesting as an e-commerce model because if you can make it work, then not only does it, mean that the item is already close to you, which has a lot of advantages. It also means that you can reduce inventory that's trapped in stores. Right. You know, you might have two pieces in one store and three pieces in another store, and they're not really consolidated like they are in a traditional fulfillment center. Right. It also means you have a whole bunch of fulfillment centers close to the consumer. (laughs) Right. And so I think the ability to pick up in store and deliver from store, I think those are the two of the primary capabilities other than kind of the returns, which is a little bit of a natural if you have a store. Right. So talk about the behemoth Walmart. Yeah, Walmart has been, I would say, slowly building over time. You know, after similar to Target, they got a little bit of a late start online. It took them a while to establish a website and really invest in it. Still now, Walmart is significantly, Walmart.com is significantly smaller than Amazon.com. What's it like 20, 30 percent of uh, I think that sounds about right. You know, it's something like five to one. I know it was like yeah. 20%. I don't know if it, I'm sure they're both growing like a weed, but yeah, they're both I'm growing. Both. I think it, it might be closer to three to one now because I think even though Amazon is growing fast, Walmart and Target, I believe are growing a, a little bit faster than because they haven't been as big for that long online. And so Walmart, again, kind of going back to leveraging stores, they've had historically great logistics and distribution for replenishment for their stores. But their e-commerce has been pretty lackluster. Like the selection has been limited to the 100, 200,000 SKUs that you find in a Walmart store, as opposed to the millions of products that you can get on Amazon. So that's been a big challenge for them. Since they bought 
Jet.com and hired Mark Lurie about five or six years ago, Walmart has started to accelerate their e-commerce pretty significantly. Not always, I think, as a direct result of the things that he in particular did, but I think the company also just sort of got a different attitude about e-commerce and how important it is and to integrate the retail experience with the e-commerce experience. Yeah, that's a huge cultural change. And, you know, it's interesting. I remember looking at a story years ago and it was comparing, this is kind of pre-internet or before e-commerce became so important. We have here and where I'm at, we had Kmart, which came from Kresge's. So Kmart was famous for these blue light specials. So they would have these specials where they would, you know, there'd be a flashing blue light and they'd have these ridiculously low prices on stuff. And that was how they lived and died by the sale, right? And then when Walmart came around, they said, we aren't going to play that game. We are going to be always low prices. So they focused on the data. Even way back in the day, they focused on the data. So they knew on March 17th, we sell this many umbrellas, right? Kmart really never had that. They had these spikes in sales and spikes in inventory. And so over time, Walmart became known as one of the reasons they became so successful was because they did such a good job on managing their inventory. And they knew exactly how many umbrellas we sell in every store over time. And they were able to kind of use that. And some other older retailers, and I'm just mentioning Kresge because it's local to me, or Kmart, it just went away because they were basically, they had this sales strategy that didn't allow them to have this inventory insights that Walmart did. So we got to give them credit for where they came from, because I think that's probably pretty useful as you move online is to understand where you need the inventory. Yeah, exactly. And so having predictable inventory visibility and anyone who tried to order during the holidays this year with all the supply chain issues that we're having is knowing that just the simple idea that what you publish on your website, that that's a guarantee to the shopper. And I say, right, I think right. so many retailers get that wrong and that, oh, right. we're just going to advertise it. And then if it's not here, they'll call or email like, no, people are just going to walk away. Right. My daughter, this is a little off topic, but it's it's to that point that it's a promise. My daughter and son-in-law bought a Peloton and they were like really pumped, like, oh, we're going to get this Peloton. It's a huge investment, but they knew they were going to the gym. They're stuck in the house. They buy this Peloton like a million other people. And they were, Peloton was at least a month late, which oh, wow. when you're trying to, when you want to get on that bike and ride, right? that's upsetting. Very, And yeah. you just paid a small fortune for it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And yesterday I read that they made an announcement saying, well, we're going to spend a lot, like $100 million to upgrade our logistics. But then the comment they made was, we're going to start doing air freight from, I think, Taiwan. And I was like, is that really the, is that fixing the problem? Fortune. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I was thinking. And I think they bought a company here, an existing equipment maker. So maybe they'll make more stuff here. But nonetheless, it was just like, air freight? Is that the answer to this problem? Right. <laughs> but- to your point that we, and I give Amazon credit for this, I give Target credit for this also, they've gotten us used to a very high level of service. One, by like Amazon, by delivering on time, and Target's just had a really nice experience in their stores for so long. Right. No, that makes sense. And Target has made so many investments that has helped them catch up with some of these other players. So it's interesting. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the stuff that matters the most, which is getting stuff delivered to home. So you alluded to this earlier, and I think it's super important to mention. If you think about what we're trying to do, Amazon, Walmart, Target, we're all trying to get inventory, the right inventory, close to the people who buy it. 
And that is the billion dollar question, probably the trillion dollar question, because if you have inventory that is a long way away, like in Taiwan and Peloton's case, and you have consumers who want it tomorrow, you're in trouble. Yeah. And so I think these companies, it's like, where is the inventory start from? And so I think Amazon has traditionally started from these big fulfillment centers. And how they started their network was that they would handle the first mile. And then they started learning how to do postal injection into the last mile because... So speak, what is that postal injection? Basically, they would inject post offices, you know, a huge network, right? And so there's places where the package starts and then where the package originates. As it goes along this journey, the postal code is really a map of how, where to deliver an item as it goes across right. the United States. And so as you get toward the bottom couple of numbers of the zip code, you're in what you call the last mile. And you could either right. hand off, like there are a couple of ways to deliver an item. The way you and I go it is we go at the post office. We ask them to do the whole thing. But if you're Amazon, right. that's quite expensive and somewhat unreliable, particularly if you have a much more efficient communication right. or a distribution channel to there. And so what they started doing is injecting near the city where the item was going to and having the post office right. with the most expensive part of the journey with the last mile. So that's where they started. Now they have introduced a new service in the past, I would say, five years called AMZL which is they are a logistics company, full stop. And they can now, deliver anything from the, the first Flex mile to do? the... Yeah, so Flex is essentially a contract network of drivers where they will help you set up a franchise right. of an Amazon delivery company. And they'll just keep, as you know, I'm sure I've never been a Flex delivery driver on one of these franchises, but I'm sure... I can't imagine what your life is like. You wake up in the morning and there's always more packages than the day before, right? And right, so like, right. your day is like, you're like the time to make the donuts guy. Well, you know, it's interesting. I have, a, I have two daughters. One of my daughters works in biotech and she said uh, somebody who just came to the company six months ago, kind of in passing said, the best job I ever had was delivering for Flex. And this was a professional person for procurement. And they said, I really loved it. And I was like, no, oh, that's not a bad way to go. Some people are going to do that for a living. It's going to suck people out of the well, And again, I, I imagine there's, I don't know this, I, but it, it's like other gig economy jobs. It could be a little more flexible. You know, I don't know that. If they, I'm assuming if they give you packages, you can't say, I'll deliver them today or tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think Amazon, I don't know, UPS wasn't like on our topic for today, but if you look at the Amazon flex delivery model versus sort of a UPS, UPS is unionized employees, right? And so they try to control the, that's part of how the experience is controlled by having the same drivers from the same routes all the time. Well, for Amazon, how did they do that? Software and technology. They want the humans to be the replaceable parts for say, like, if a driver right. wakes up tomorrow and wants to deliver packages, we're going to give it to him, and the software is going to tell him who it gets delivered to. Yeah, you know, you mentioned UPS being unionized, and I know they just sell, sold off their trucking side, which I think they probably didn't make a lot or even lost money, but it supported the parcel, which is obviously their bread and butter. I find this was years ago. I had a laptop that was being delivered to my house. It was supposed to be there on a Friday afternoon. And it missed. I was like, oh, they'll just bring it over tomorrow morning. It's fine. I'll, I'll be home anyway. And I called them. They're like, no, we don't deliver on the weekends. And I was like, what? And I don't know if that's changed, but I don't know if you get small parcels on the weekend now. But I was thinking, I know if Amazon's involved, you're going to. <laughs> 100%. And, you know, UPS, I know they do Saturday delivery. Pretty do sure they? Okay. Deliver on Sunday. This, this is FedEx, probably 10, yeah. 10 years ago, 15 yeah. years and, ago. And so and maybe FedEx they did announce they're doing seven day delivery. 
as well. And I think they did it through the holidays this yep. year too. Yeah, well, they needed to this holiday. I, I got two. I got two. I got two gifts from Nordstrom's in mid January. Oh wow! <laughs> <In Nordstrom's. laughs> that's all right. We all knew it was going to be that kind of year. So, getting back to it, we have Amazon kind of building this end-to-end logistics company. And what did you say the name of their logistics company is? Amazon's logistics. Oh, you, you mentioned. Yeah. Were you talking about Flex or? No, I think you said their logistics is AML. AMZ. AMZ. MZL or Amazon Logistics. That's just their code word for it. It's like AWS is their cloud stuff. AMZL is their logistics. Wow. And I'm going to have somebody on my podcast coming up. I almost did a podcast the other day that says, which was the fact that people keep saying Amazon is going to get into logistics. No, they've been in logistics. They're huge in logistics. They, They didn't sneak up. It just seemed as if they were just, people didn't recognize what they were up to. So they're building this out. Now talk about what Target and Walmart are doing. Yeah, I think Target and Walmart are taking a little bit different approach. So Target, the center of everything is a store. And so they've bought a number of startups that have to do with ship to store and ship from store, Right. customer pickup technology. Shipped is one company that they acquired in this realm. They bought some of the IP of another company called Delive which deals with last mile sortation. So even after it leaves the store and before it goes to the consumer, there's another sort of sortation opportunity before it gets on really? items that are delivered to homes. So they're starting to take control a little bit more of that last you know, last mile or last half mile, right. I don't know, experience. And that's interesting. Like one thing about Target is like some of these things, you wonder how more convenient can it get? Like I ordered... I was driving over the holidays and I was, I can't remember where I was. I was in Virginia or something. I was staying overnight and then wanted to get some groceries. So I ordered from Target and picked up. They were waiting. So they have the app to you. Like you'd say, well, I'm, I just left my house or I'm pulling into the parking lot. They were waiting. There were two people in the parking lot holding my groceries, waiting for right. me to drive up. I mean, like what else could they do? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? By the way, uh, you guys, I'm not cutting out Rick's comment about him leaving the state and coming back unauthorized to the authorities, so please don't (laughs) narc on him. That's um, right. No travel. So I know I just recently had Guy Quatan from Shopify on, and he talked about this whole idea of buy online, pick up at store, or pick up at Curb, I think, Bopac. And so they do that at Target, I know. And I suspect they do it at Walmart. I haven't used it. But you can also order it online and then go pick it up at the store. And then to your point, they also bought Shipped. And we've talked about Shipped a few times on the podcast. They have 200,000 personal shoppers, another gig economy job. And I've used it. And so is my mom. It's, it's a pretty slick service. You go online, you order your groceries. I don't know if it costs five, ten bucks. It's hard to tell what they're actually charging, but it's not a lot. And when it's one degree wind chill at my house, yeah, have somebody drop my phone. Yeah, go out. <laughs> right. In the COVID era, do I really need to be leaving in this cold weather? So it's very slick. And I think when you they have two hundred thousand personal shoppers, I could see that as that grows, that could be two million people. I mean, right. that's they're just scratching the surface. I suspect unless yeah. you're in this business, you probably don't pay close attention to what's going on. That's just going to grow. And I can also see, I'm just, I maybe I'm getting ahead of myself with you, Rick, but I can also see these grocery stores and or stuff like Target where they might become more look like a distribution center. Costco certainly looks like a distribution center. 100%. And to that point, and we hadn't kind of gone back to Walmart, 
Walmart, even just in the last two weeks, announced that they are upfitting all of their stores with micro-fulfillment centers. And so what that means is that they're going to drop many warehouses either inside the stores and cordon off a section of it or add a kind of a little sidecar building that can do automated picking for these kind of pickup orders. You know, I just got to think at some point when they get it, when they figure it all out, it's going to be done right. And these are all three just fantastic companies. And, you know, I think about this here in Michigan, we used to have drive through liquor places. I know in Ohio they have them too. I don't think we have them or they're just grandfathered in, but I, I, when it's freezing cold and you're going to buy some alcohol, it was nice to have them loaded my trunk so I don't have to get out. I could see that being really valuable if you say, let me, especially in the colder weather here in the north, right? just say pull up. And they open your trunk, load me up. That'd be fantastic. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and the advantage that Target has and that Walmart has is they have the product that I want and it's close to me. So they can easily do same day, next day. That's the advantage they have over Amazon for now. Speak to that because I know we've heard other things about Amazon trying to do get that same day, next day by moving closer. So speak to that. Yeah, Amazon hasn't been invested in hundreds of millions of dollars in the past three or four years in same and in increasing the amount of same day. I mean, I remember when Amazon Prime Now first came out and they made a separate app for it and I had a friend <laughs> use it. And even in New York City when everything is convenient, it's like, how could anyone be so lazy to get milk <laughs> delivered to their house? Like just just a bottle of milk, you know what I mean? Like by itself. And now, right. just no one thinks like that anymore. No, you know, no, they don't. Everyone just wants to hit a button and have it appear, you know, in the next hour or two. And that is, that's the new standard is how can we get as much inventory delivered in the next couple of hours? And so Amazon has made huge strides there. And I think the selection that they can deliver same day is much larger than Walmart. And it's because the number of SKUs in the typical Walmart store is not a huge number. You know, oh, I didn't know that. Relative to the size of Amazon, anyway. Not right. that Walmarts aren't big. <laughs> but, but that can also hurt you. If you look at Costco, they have notoriously few SKUs at their stores, right. and they're wildly what profitable because they do a good job. I said it earlier about Target's grocery store. It's curated. If you go over to Costco, and I love Costco, that's, I know that's off topic, but they've done a good job at, they said, we're just going to go buy the very best potato chips and toilet paper and booze. And I think they're the number one seller of wine in the country and alcohol and toilet paper, which, boy, that speaks to Costco's uh, core audience here. <laughs> but, um, right, 100%. So this is a massive topic, obviously. So if you had to bet, you you could only bet on one of these companies, which one would you bet on? (laughs) Wow. You know, I think you're betting on them for different things. I think if you're betting on Amazon, you're betting on a technology company fundamentally. You're not betting on a logistics company. You're not betting on a retailer. You're, You're betting on all of those things, like whatever it is they invent. And I think if you talk about Walmart and Target, they don't, think of themselves that way. And I think they will likely never think of themselves that way. And so ultimately, I think that that could mean that Walmart and Target could catch up and surpass Amazon from an experience point of view in the long run, because not only do they have better control of their goods and their suppliers, because they have physical control over all their items, whereas on an Amazon marketplace, you don't. Right. 
they're also just more focused on a singular task than Amazon is. You know, despite how big Amazon is and how successful they are at it, they're also doing 10 other things. Right. Well, it also, isn't Walmart still by far the largest retailer? Yeah. 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 In, in terms of retail volume. Right. You know, worldwide in particular. Yeah. And in right. the U.S. So big topic here, Rick. Why don't you try and summarize this thing for us? Yeah. I mean, I think the big things, the thing I love about logistics is that there are really only two variables that most people care about, speed and cost. And so once you assume that the product is the product is the product, which isn't the case in a lot of industries, right? right? Grocery can spoil and everything like this and counterfeits, et cetera. Really, you're optimizing for speed and cost. And so this whole idea of needing everything instantly, I think (laughs) we have not, although we've seen a lot of innovation on this in the last 10 years, we have not seen the end of it. And I think it's, Right. We're going to still see levels of it that we haven't seen before. And I think, I do believe that these three companies are going to continue to lead that sort of next level of innovation in, right. in those two important logistics variables. <laughs> right. And, you know, I'll throw one other variable in there. And it's, it came up when I was talking to Guy Quitan over at from Shopify and Six River is the sustainability. Cause I think at some point when somebody says, I delivered, you know, Joe wanted a gallon of milk and it got delivered and it was free shipping. And you go, was it really free shipping? Somewhere the cost is absorbed. So one piece is how long will we get subsidized shipping? There's another piece to it, which is sustainability. And I think companies are going to start saying, here's the sustainable, here's, I'll just make it up, carbon footprint, or Mm -hmm. here's how much of the environment you're impacting because you needed your milk delivered separately than the rest of your groceries, right? Right. So I think as soon as companies start saying, okay, here's the cost, and, that, and maybe the cost doesn't matter to us anymore. But maybe right. what starts to matter is, oh, gosh, can I have somebody drive something from Target to my house every single day and feel good about the environment if I'm an environmentalist? And I think that's something that we need to consider. Right. No, it makes sense. So and we didn't talk too much about returns. I've returned stuff to Amazon. I, I don't know if I return stuff to Target or Walmart. I'm sure I have at some point, but obviously in stores, easy. But it's not too shabby the returns over at Amazon either. You just walk into UPS and go, here you go. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, they've notoriously done a really good job with returns in their career, making costly. it easy. Yeah. Making it easy for something to return. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience with Amazon. Sometimes they just tell you to keep it. They don't want you to ship it. Oh, back yeah. Because the oh, value yeah. of it, the value of it is small and the shipping cost is more than the cost of the item. Yeah. Actually, I was hoping that Nordstrom was going to say that they sent an extra <laughs> fleece that came, because the one that came mid-January was the, I was like, can I just keep this one? Bonus fleece? But anyway, <laughs> Rick, <laughs> they said, no, deliver it to the store. They didn't like that idea. <laughs> so tell us what's going on over at your company, RMW Commerce. Who do you serve? Yeah, so I serve, there are two primary groups that I serve. One is investors. So there are a number of investors that buy retailers and brands and then need to figure out like, okay, what now? How do I improve this brand? And how do I allow this brand to grow in the market? So they need someone to help them figure it out. So that's that's one who. The other who is either the retailers and the brands themselves generally tends to be the management team with some strategic idea that I think I want to do something like this. And they need someone to help guide them through that process because... These are big bets. (laughs) These are big bets. And so mistakes are costly, not only in terms of money, but also in terms of time. 
And so if oh, you customer could, experience is a big deal too. If you start to, if you start something and do a bad job on it, boy, that's like, right. is it, I think it's Instacart that's going through some problems right now and they layoffs. And I was thinking all it takes is some bad customer experience and boom, that's right. <laughs> it's all over. That's right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So you help these guys who are trying to make a change. So it's a strategic direction change. Call Rick. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, when I started the company, you know, one of the things you mentioned was like, what gap did I see in the market when I started the business? And e-commerce is not a new thing anymore. No one says like, no. oh, it's the hottest new thing. It's it's growing right. and it's important, but it's not new anymore. Right. Everyone is familiar with it. And so one of the things that I figured, my business is based on a couple of ideas. Number one is e-commerce is not going to stop growing anytime soon. So the market is there, right. number one. Right. But if you haven't mastered it yet, then there's probably something holding you back, something structural right. holding you back. And that was kind of my bet when I started my business. And what I've discovered is that there are kind of two things that are holding most people back. One is the talent to either come up with the ideas or right. to execute the ideas. Or second is they don't know where to start and they don't have a plan. Right. So one of the things I've talked about is that when we talk about e-commerce fulfillment, so you know what it, it's done in warehousing, the fulfillment's not new, right? We've seen it, but it was just, it was different. And I look at when somebody says, sometimes people ask me, help me with my e-commerce. You know, who should I pick to do my e-commerce fulfillment? And you find existing warehousing companies that maybe they're used to delivering to stores, but they don't deliver to home or they've just begun. And if you're a big company and you say 99% of our business is truckload or drill, mm -hmm. delivering to stores or LTL, and we've done this That's managed right. freight, the thing is they might not be a good choice because they say, look, 1% of our business is delivering to homes. And that's right. just, it's a whole new animal. So, and I think the same thing applies to your distributors, retailers, and wholesalers who say, we've been doing it the same way for a long time. And how do I change my spots? <laughs> no, 100%. And like, to your point, it kind of starts with, as you know, there are 10 different ways to do anything you want to do now. And a lot of it depends on what are your goals? What are your budget? What's a fit for where you are right now? And so I think a lot of times CEOs or management teams, they ask their friend who's in this current situation. A lot of times they ask them because they're five steps into the process and they're at the starting blocks. And so they try to use the provider their friend is using because, right. oh, he's a CEO, he's really smart, you know. Right. But it's not a fit for where they are now because it's right. too expensive right. or there aren't, is enough volume and so you're not going to get the same service and rates. And so that's the thing I think a lot of people miss is that there's not one best provider of anything in the market. It depends on your right. goals. It depends on the budget. And it depends on your staff and talent and how you manage them, too. And so there are a number right. of different factors that go into choosing the right provider. Sometimes you don't have to have the best provider in the world to do a good job. You just need to have a reliable right. provider that right. fits within and your cost. And I'm a big believer also, you need to have the relationship. I think a lot of companies hold their logistics providers at arm's length at their own peril. Because if you don't bring them in and tell them your problems and, and tell them where you hope to go, you're not going to get there. Right. And I think that's true of a lot of vendors. And there's different management philosophies that you need to berate your vendors and beat them down and get the best deal. You know, but then you're really, if you look at your consumers, your consumers not only relying on what you can do as a business, they're relying on you right. and all your partners. Right. So Absolutely. the best customer service is what all of us can deliver together and not just what one of us can deliver. Right, right. 
Well, Rick, this is awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. And I'm going to put a link to your website, which is... Yeah, my website is rmwcommerce.com. Yep, and it's Rick Watson on on LinkedIn, which is probably going to be... Are you the only Rick Watson on LinkedIn? <laughs> I, I'm quite sure. I think it's a pretty common name. But if you, I, I guarantee if you, if you type in Rick Watson in e-commerce, I'll come up somewhere. Right. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and a link to your website. And you guys, if you need some help, Rick's the guy. He's been there, done that, got the hat. So thank you so much, Rick. I really appreciate you taking the time. And thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.